I wonder if you've ever said the following uh, statement to someone in summarizing an event you're at. Uh, it was what I expected, um, and it was different to what I expected at the same time. Uh, it was what I expected, but it was different to what I expected at the same time. Um, sometimes things can be different to what we expect, and yet what we expect because um, um, you hoped for something that was different uh, than what actually happened, but you kind of had a sneaking suspicion it was going to be the way that it played out. Um, or you could actually say that statement because uh, something happened that you did expect and then some things happened that you didn't expect. Um, Christmas is in the latter territory. When, uh, when you look at the stories of Jesus' birth, um, which are historical stories, you see things that you expect and you see things that you don't expect. Uh, things that kind of catch you off guard. And, and to be honest, the person of Jesus is like this. He, he is kind of what we expect, but then he kind of pulls some things out of left field sometimes that just kind of surprise us a little. And so today we're just going to work through the Matthew 2 story. So if you have a Bible, you can go to Matthew 2. You can double check what I'm saying is right um, from the Scripture. Uh, and we're going to start this morning with the things about that story that fit our expectations Um, around Jesus being uh, a king. Here's the first bit. Jesus is an expected thing. There are some things you can just expect about Jesus, things that are just, of course, it's a no-brainer. It's like going to Aldi, right? You go to Aldi and you can expect them to keep pumping through the groceries over the scanner until they can't hear you breathe anymore, all right? You can just expect that. Uh, In Toowoomba, if you ask a Toowoomba person to drive across town to something, you can expect them to hesitate. A little bit because it's such a long way. Some things are just normal. And when it comes to the birth of Jesus, there's a bunch of things about the birth of Jesus that are actually uh, really quite normal. Here's the first one. Jesus is born in the lineage of David. If you go back to Matthew 1 verse 1, just going to sneak back a chapter. It says this, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Uh, Jesus is connected by blood to the big guns. That's the bottom line. He's connected to the big guns, and this is how royalty works. It always works like this. You're in the royal bloodline, and Jesus was. He was a descendant of King David, and King David is held up as the the best king that Israel had, even though he uh, had some pretty messy moments. Uh, Jesus was in David's lineage, in his bloodline. He had the credentials. Here's the second thing. He was born in Bethlehem. This is significant too. Uh, my uh, next-door neighbour <coughs> is a little bit my, like my next-door neighbour. He came over uh, a few days ago, 8 o'clock in the morning, all right? He came over, he knocked on the door, went, answered the door, and he said, um, I've come over to get uh, your oldest son, who's 16. I want to show him something, all right, at 8 o'clock in the morning. Is anyone with me at this point? <laughs> okay. And, and I said to him, he's, he's in bed. And this guy, the look on his face, he was shocked. It's like, how on earth could someone still be in bed at 8 o'clock in the morning? I said, mate, he's a teenager. They're nocturnal. <laughs> and we see this in the story of Jesus a little bit. You, you've got this kind of misunderstanding a bit about where Jesus is born. But for the people who know, they know that he's meant to be born in Bethlehem. Um, it was a surprise to the wise men, and we'll get to that in a minute. But guess who else was born in Bethlehem? King David. King David. This is 1 Samuel 17. Now, David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judea. Luke chapter 2 verse 11, talking about the stories of Jesus, says this, 
for unto you is born this day in the city of David. It makes sense that Jesus the king, the descendant, would be born in Bethlehem. The religious leaders actually knew it. And this is what Herod does. Herod says to the religious leaders, he gets all the heavies together and he says, can you guys tell me where he's going to be born? And they're saying he's going to be born in Bethlehem. So he sends the wise men there, the prophecies pointed in that direction. Here's the third thing that we can expect about Jesus in the Christmas story. People will come and worship him. People come to honour him. They worshipped him and they brought him in gifts. This is the end of the story in uh, verse 11 there, as the wise men come and they present gold, frankincense and myrrh. This is what you do with the king, right? That, it just makes sense. It's normal, especially this kind of king. The kind of worship that they're providing here is homage, it's respect, it's, it's reverence, it's good and it's right and it's proper. But even though we see a bunch of things in this passage that are expected, we also see a bunch of things in this passage that are unexpected. And here's the bottom line, there are a lot of things about Jesus that surprise us. Jesus was both what we expect and not what we expect. You might have heard the, um, the saying, uh, God created humanity in his image and we returned the favour. <laughs> you know, there's a sense in which for uh, humanity that we've got things a bit wrong. We assume that he's like us. There's a psalm in the Old Testament that says that very thing where God says to uh, his people, he says, you thought I was one like you. And the reality is, is he's not. And so sometimes there's going to be things where we go, yeah, that makes sense to me. And other things you're going to go, what is going on here? And this is what we find. And we find this in the Christmas story here because the wise men, where do they go to find Jesus? Well, they go to Jerusalem, don't they? Of course, you, um, you go to the big smoke. You know, some expected because of the prophecy he would be in Bethlehem, but others thought he would be in Jerusalem where the movers and the shakers and the people making it happen are but he's not there is he he's in Bethlehem he's in a town that's about nine kilometers south of Jerusalem Bethlehem was the smallest most insignificant clan in Judah it's like it's a two-bit town isn't it it's a backwater and yet in this two-bit backwater town the ancient of days gets born the ancient of days and that town becomes great not because the town was great in itself but because someone great was born there here's the second thing that surprises us Uh, Jesus was born king Jesus's kingship is different from normal see the way normal kingship works is you you get born and then one day you get coronated You, you become king but, but the wise men get it right in verse 2 of Matthew chapter 2. The wise men said this, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? When he lands, he's king. <laughs> and the reason why when he lands he's king is because he was king before he took on human flesh. It's John Piper says this, he says, uh, What we're talking about here is not creation but incarnation. An incarnation is putting on flesh. That's what it means. Chili con carne is chili in meat. <laughs> All right? Incarnation is God coming in meat, in the flesh. That's what it is. Sorry to weird you out with that one. Here's, here's what it says in Micah 5 verse 2, which is what Matthew actually quotes. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephathra, 
who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel. Listen to this, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. The ancient one, the one who pre-existed being born as a baby, and then he was born as a baby, who would have thought? (laughs) Who would have thought? Here's the third thing I think we see here that surprises us is um, Gentiles come to worship him. This is odd, isn't it? I mean, he's, he's the king of the Jews. A, a, a Gentile, in case you don't know, is anyone who's not a Jew. So where are the, where are the Jews? Someone has to worship. This is almost like one of those situations where it's like, okay, you idiots, let me show you how it's done. And someone from outside the system comes in and worships when others are absent. The people who should know better get shown up. (laughs) Hmm. So Jesus is what we expect and what we don't. You know, you can expect to have a bit of an idea about what he's like, but also you can expect he's going to break out of those shackles of what you have in your mind. Because what we have in our minds is shaped by a fallen world. You know, we could spend a lot of time talking about how there's this beautiful range of diverse excellencies that come together in the person of Jesus that don't always make sense. It's like he's one thing and he's another. He's, he's big and he's holy, but he's actually close and he's loving. Like those, it's like, how do you put those together? And this is the kind of thing I think we're seeing in the Christmas story is there's things like, well, we expect that, but then we don't expect that. Theologians, as I said, talk about the diverse excellencies in Jesus. You see, this baby in the manger was and is the king of all. And I want to say to you this morning that it's the diverse excellencies in Jesus, the ones that we expect and the ones that keep us off balance, that are exactly what you and I need. It's exactly what we need. So I want to say to you this morning, this is where I'm closing today, Jesus is a fitting king. He's an expected king, he's an unexpected king, but he's ultimately a fitting king. And here's, I'm trying to sell this one to you, see if uh, you can uh, agree with me at the end of this one. You know, one of the things that we need is we need a disruptive king. That's what we need. You go to the first verse in Matthew chapter 2, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Those are fighting words, straight up, aren't they? As a challenger to the throne. You know, there are a number of Herods. This one was Herod the Great, and he was Herod the Great because he undertook a bunch of big building projects and he brought peace in an area that, uh, that struggled with that. But later in his life, around the time of Jesus, he started be- to become pretty paranoid. And, and the guy turned into, I mean, if we just use street language, he was a bit of a psycho in the end, Right? Because he was so concerned and fearful about his own power and retaining the throne, he actually was called the king, Herod the Great, that he killed people. In fact, he killed two of his brothers and his favourite wife. (laughs) Which is interesting, right? Because I just go, okay, well, what happened to the other ones? Like, if you kill your favourite, what do you do with the rest of them? What happens in the middle of Herod's rule? Not necessarily uh, chronologically, but what happens in the middle of him ruling? Well, a king shows up. (laughs) The king shows up. 
And do you know Herod knows this is a problem? Um, this is uh, verse 3 of uh, Matthew chapter 2. When King Herod heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Now, you don't have to think too much to work out why Jerusalem is worried. Because if someone who's a psycho is getting worried and they have a lot of power, that's going to be a bad thing for everyone else around you. So what's going to happen next? But here's a, here's a reality, folks. We, we actually need someone who's going to come in and disrupt the abuse of power that happens around us. The misuse of power, it's good news. <laughs> you know, if you've ever been in a situation where uh, someone has, and I'm assuming this is everyone, someone's abused their power, and you've been hurt as a result of that, even down to things like abuse and worse, this is good news for you. Someone is coming in and they're going to disrupt the power that's happening around the place that's being mishandled. This is good news. But do you know something? And this is, the, this is where it gets a little bit messy. You may, you may kind of say, I, I was with you until then. He's, he's after us as well. Jesus doesn't just have the big-time abusers of power in his sights. He wants to disrupt us who use power for our own ends too. We like to have power. <laughs> when, we don't, when we don't get it over others, we like to be in charge. We, we even, um, you know, Christianity has often talked about the throne of your own life, that you sit, our tendency is to sit on the throne of our own lives. And um, Jesus is your competitor if you are determined to sit on that throne because he wants to sit on it. He wants to sit on it. You know, people have long tried to defang Jesus and make him a, a good teacher or a nice person. I mean, pretty much every religious system tries to sneak him in somewhere into their system. But I'll tell you something, he won't let you do it to him. He just won't let you do it to him. Because our problem and everyone else's problem is we want to be the boss. We want to be the boss of our own lives. We want to be the boss over other people as well. And I just want to say to you, um, and I say this, I, I really do mean this lovingly, you're just not a very good boss of your own life. And I, we won't have a show of hands, but we couldn't. It's like, when have you been boss over your own life, got yourself in a whole heck of a lot of trouble? Does anyone know what I'm talking about? It just... We don't do very well as a boss over our own lives. So I want to suggest to you, it's even good news that Jesus comes as a competitor to me and says, get off your own throne, Peter, and let me sit on it, because that's just going to be so great. It's going to be so great. You know, if you're determined to have Jesus on your own terms, then just like Herod, you'll miss him. You see, the wise men took Jesus on his terms. Herod wanted him on his and he never got to see him. He never got to see him. There is a majesty and a whole new vista. And you could, if you don't know Jesus, you don't know really what I'm talking about. But you should talk to somebody who does know Jesus. Because when you trust him and you let him sit on the throne in your life, this whole new vista opens up that you'd never seen before. You know him in a way that you've never known him before. It's like Pokemon Go, right? except it's real. You need a device to see things that are floating out um, somewhere in cyberspace, ultimately. But it's actually real with Jesus. When you, when you trust him, 
and you place your trust in him, then a whole new vista opens up about him. And I would encourage you, if you don't know Jesus, uh, grab a Bible and just uh, probably the best gospel to read is Mark. Read, read Mark and just, no one, no one has to persuade you, just let him speak to you and tell you who he is through that gospel on his own terms. Forsake your own agenda, it will be really good for you. So we need a disruptive king. We also need a good king. So many stories in the movies, right? Um, we, we well know the limitations of democracy, don't we? I mean, democracy is all about, well, it's about a lot of things, but one of the things it's all about is putting some checks and balances in to stop people abusing power. Because we, we think that's really uncool, and it is really uncool. That's what democracy is about, um, in, in a large sense. Uh, but think about the romantic notions that were separated for us in the movies. Those of you who know the, uh, the Narnia um, stories by uh, C.S. Lewis know that there's this, this longing for a good king, a benevolent, loving king that would come along and rule well. Or perhaps the Lord of the Rings trilogy where at the end Aragorn comes and he takes the throne and when he takes the throne, peace happens and good things actually happen. So we know this is how it works. You know, there's a proverb in the Bible, Proverbs Uh, 29 verse 2, when the righteous increase, the people rejoice, but when the wicked rule, the people groan. You see, we long for someone to come who will use their power for good and not evil. You know, power is a problem for everyone. And as I said before, we all kind of abuse it from time to time. You know, you look at any organization, the church, your employment, and, and look at the way that they handle power. I mean, organizations have constitutions and what are constitutions mainly about they're mainly about how power gets handled in the organization what do we want what do we long for most deeply well someone who's going to come who's not going to abuse or manipulate or control or punish for his own ends someone who doesn't lord it over us and take advantage of us someone who is great we know that we're in trouble this is the super hero kind of just movie one movie after another we know that we're in trouble and we need someone great to come and help us we need them to come close but we also know that we need to not be obliterated when someone great does actually come close to us we we need someone who will use their power to help and to serve others rather than helping and serving themselves we need someone to come down to lift us up is anyone with me That's what we need. We need someone to come down to lift us up. And I want to say to you this morning, this is Jesus. That's what he does. Here's the the last one. We need a self-sacrificial king. And I wonder if the music team would would like to come up. You know, we, we know that we're in trouble and we need someone to rescue us. We need someone who's actually going to put themselves on the line to come and help us, to come and save us. And I want to read this section from C.S. Lewis because I think it just cashes out really nicely what it would have been like for the eternal, infinite, ancient of days to take on human flesh. The second person in God, the Son, became human himself, was born into the world as an actual man. A real man of a particular height, with hair of a particular colour, speaking a particular language, weighing so many stone. Listen to this. The eternal being who knows everything, 
and who created the whole universe, became not only a man, but before that, a baby, and before that, a fetus inside a woman's body. This is a great line. If you want to get the hang of it, think how you would like to become a slug or a crab. This is what he did, right? This is what the Bible tells us Jesus did. Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. A little while ago, I... um, I get my hair cut periodically, but a little while ago I was getting my hair cut and um, I was talking with my hairdresser. We're having a good conversation and he's a, um, an ex-Catholic. And uh, so uh, when I uh, show up at a hairdresser, we're always up for a good yarn. Uh, we've talked about all sorts of things. And uh, on this particular day, uh, he just made the comment. He said, oh, I think there's some helpful things in the Bible. And I said, well, what do you think about... Um, Jesus are dying on the cross what do you think about that he goes nah he goes that's that's not right that's not true and um I said to him really I said why 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 don't you think that's bit that bit's true he goes this is what he said to me he said because God wouldn't do that he wouldn't do that he wouldn't come and die for us I said well what do you think he would do he goes he would get us that's what he would do if if God was to come he would he would get us I changed tack slightly I said to him uh, I said have you ever noticed something that um, no one ever has to have a conversation about whether self-sacrifice for someone else's good is a loving thing to do and we talked about that for a little bit and he goes yeah that's right he goes and I said to him I said yeah like if someone sacrifices themselves for someone else it's always loving No one has to have a conversation about it. We all instinctively know that that's loving. And he goes, yeah. He goes, I totally agree with you. And I said this. I said, do you think that if we all instinctively know that self-sacrifice for the good of someone else is loving, if we all instinctively know that, that maybe that's at the heart and the core of the universe? And then we went on talking about other things. He, um, He could see that. He goes, yeah, that's a fair enough point. Well, I want to say to you this morning that Self-sacrifice is at the core and the center of the universe. And that's why no one ever has a debate about whether self-sacrifice is good and loving. This baby in the manger grew up and he went uh, to a Roman cross. You know, they put um, on the sign above his head, the king of the Jews. He... They were probably sarcastic, but here's the bottom line. He was born a king and he died a king. And he didn't just die because it was a fun thing to do. Thank you. The um, the English word excruciating means out of the cross or the pain of the cross. That's an excruciating death. He didn't, he didn't do it for fun. He did it. He did it for you. That's what he did it for. He, he was a king. He was just the self-sacrificial king that you want. 
the one that came down to lift you up. And he went right down, didn't he? That's what death on a cross is. It's right down. And he died. Why? For all your disobedience. All the times that you've been selfish. All the times you've been proud. All the times that you wouldn't listen to anyone else. All the times you weren't teachable. All the times you gossiped about your neighbor or your co-worker. He died for all of that to make you clean and to bring you back in the family. That's what he did. He's an amazing king. Amazing king. And today, we're actually going to have communion. Who would have thought on Christmas Day? We're going to have communion. And uh, communion is uh, it's bread and juice, which symbolizes the body and the blood of Jesus dying on a cross. And um, it's for anyone who loves Jesus. Anyone at all. Um, we often say at the project here that um, a sacrament in the church is where there's an intermingling of the physical and the spiritual. So when you take communion, when you take the juice, you take the bread, um, you're taking something physical, but at the same time, there's a sense in which in your heart you're feeding on the goodness of Jesus and the sacrifice that he's made for you. You know, um, if you read the Gospel of John about Jesus, one of the things that pops up all the time is... Um, there is so much pulsating life and light coming out of Christ. When you get connected to him, it comes your way. It comes your way. How could you not live when you're connected to Jesus? And communion, in a sense, symbolizes the fact that I'm connected to Jesus. And I need his life to come my way. So if you don't love Jesus, uh, it doesn't make sense for you to take communion. And we'd encourage you just to let it pass. But if you do love Jesus and you do say... I need his life. I need to get rid of some death in my life. I need to get rid of all the times where I'm disobedient and not listening to him and I'm unloving and I'm not kind and I'm not gentle. Jesus offers to take that away. That's what he did on the cross. And uh, you can, even today, we'll give you a minute just to uh, talk to Jesus uh, about anything you need to clear up between you and he before we bring communion around. Uh, but I'd like to pray for you because um, some of you maybe, um, well, you could, in a sense, become eligible for communion when I pray. You could reach out to Jesus and say, I need you. I love you. Strangely, I didn't before, when I came in today, but there's something about you that I love about you now and I need you to forgive me and to cleanse me and to give me life. I wonder if you'd stand with me. And I'll just pray and then I'll give you a moment to sit and you can, uh, you can meditate or that's not in a weird way. It's just think, think over the things that have been talked about. You could pray, you could talk to Jesus. He's, um, he's talented. He can hear everyone talking to him at once and be committed to uh, each and every one.